Welcome to the Oddcast, brought to you by the Odyssey NFT Experience, seeking to deliver value to creators, collectors, DeFi natives, and DGENs. Every episode, we will speak with personalities across the space about all things NFT in an effort to celebrate, explore, and educate about the many facets of this incredible creator economy. I'm your host, Flame, and I'm here with a promise to keep it interesting, uplifting, and always odd. Let's get into it. We are here to first and foremost celebrate the artists and innovators from all corners of the space within the Odyssey community and beyond. There will be news, there may be alpha, but there will be nothing that should ever be mistaken for financial advice. Always, always, always DYOR, friends. And with that, let's get to our next incredible guest of the Oddcast, Kahlo. Kahlo is a huge supporter and champion of generative art, a journalist with his own newsletter, creator of the Blind Gallery NFT project, and an artist as well. We discuss all these things and more, and I'm so glad you get to join us. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Just to get started, if you would mind introducing yourself and just giving us a little background as far as your journey into crypto and digital art and all that good stuff. Sure. First of all, thanks for having me. Very excited to, to be here. And well, about me, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm known as Kahlo. Thanks to my newsletter. I write a newsletter about NFTs and uh, generative art where I do different things. I interview artists. I also do market analysis. And I started that around one year and a half ago, May, back in May 2021. And yeah, it's it's been a, a nice ride. Now we have a big community of over 5,000 people and we also have the premium premium members and we're getting close to 200 premium members so it's been super interesting and well before before that i i have a tech background i i used to work in the tech industry for around eight years i'm a computer scientist and data scientist and yeah i had different roles work as a developer as a data scientist and before joining Web3, I also was a product manager just before I decided to go all in into Web3. I was a tech product manager. Nice. And do you think that uh, your experience as a product manager with the tech background, do you think that drew you to this realm of digital art? Well, I think first I got attracted to blockchain technology and crypto um, early on. I think it was 2013. I read about uh, Bitcoin in a blog and I was actually mining some Bitcoins. Um, but I kind of stopped doing that for a while and and got back into it more seriously um, when I discovered Ethereum in 2017, 2018. Uh, but it was back in those days, it was mostly about it crypto coins, right? So I was not doing much. I was just, uh, you know, buying from time to time some coins. And back in 2021, when the whole NFT, uh, you know, hype started, when uh, people made a big sale, I, I read more about the technology and, and what really 
attracted me was the possibility to build uh, dApps on top of uh, the blockchain, right? So that's when I got really interested and it was mostly about the technology. And then, uh, well, NFTs from, from day one were very closely connected to art in, in general, right? Like different sort of, uh, you know, mediums like PFPs and, and, you know, there were also some one-on-ones, but I got really, I mean, when, what I would say is what really caught my eye was the generative art, um, you know, uh, hot, let's say, uh, yeah, uh, realm, right? Like this, this other area, which was more related to coding and, yeah, that's thanks to my background, right? Because I've been, I, I have been developing in the past, and I understood it well how it worked, and yeah, got really attracted to it. So I would say it was a mix of the technology at the beginning, and then after that, I got more interested in digital digital art thanks to uh, generative art, I would say. But before that, I was not really that much into art at all. I didn't have like an art background or art education or anything like that. But uh, I, I could understand programming and, and what was needed to create these collections, right? So that's something that really caught my eye. And you've been doing a newsletter for over a year now. And by all measures, I think it's pretty successful. I know a lot of people really enjoy it based on you know the activity I see in the Discord and the level of participation with the Blind Gallery Project, which I definitely want to talk about seems like it's all going really well. What made you want to start doing a newsletter? And for people who don't know, you also do a lot of market analysis and that's part of the newsletter, which I think is an incredible service. What inspired you to start doing that? And what is it about it that you really love? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So I think I always um, wanted to write since I was young. Um, I, I wrote from time to time. I used to have a blog uh, about baseball and baseball statistics. So I did that for a, for a couple of weeks. I didn't keep doing that, but I always wanted to write. When I was working back when I had um, my role as a developer or as a product manager, I sort of uh, wrote different different things like essays or I always wanted to you know write summaries about the technology different kinds of technologies but I didn't have like an audience I, I was not really developing this idea of having a community um, so when NFTs when came around and I started to learn I noticed that there wasn't many uh, sources of information right like uh, you could jump into the documents like the technical documents on ethereum and maybe you could follow people on twitter and most of the publications were about uh, investing in crypto coins and also DeFi, which was interesting but i i was not that much into it so when i started to discover artists and i started to uh, collect nfts uh, I, I, I sort of thought, okay, this is perfect. I could just write uh, about what I'm doing and maybe other people will find it useful, will help others to get started. So that, that was at the beginning, right? So I 
I was sort of writing more like educational stuff. It was more like a hobby. Um, and yeah, after a couple of issues, um, it started to grow. So I, I noticed like without much effort, just doing that part time. Um, yeah, people were finding my publication through Twitter or through Google. And I, I thought, okay, this is interesting. I'm finding all these readers um, that like what I'm writing, which was like a complete new new experience for me. And it's something that I enjoy, enjoy doing, right? And uh, I was also helping artists uh, to, to, to get discovered, right? And get seen. So it was like a good mix. And it was also interesting for me because I was learning uh, different things, right? So it kept me focus on okay so if i want to do this i need to write at least twice a week right so it was like a good way to um force me to write which is something that i liked but i never uh, pursue you know uh, in a disciplined way right so it was a good way to you know learn share and get to know more people that was my 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 main goal at, at the beginning and then after a couple of months, I decided to take it more seriously. Uh, also, Substack, which is the newsletter platform that I use, they also reach out. Um, they they have they also are very good at building communities. So that's one of their focus, and they sort of reach out to those writers that are growing to help them. So uh, that platform supported me, like they they set up some calls and they had some courses to to help people get started and i i after those like materials when they shared that material and they kind of encourage encourage me to go uh, have like a plan for like a big community and maybe uh, the premium plan i thought okay maybe this is something that i can pursue and and it could become you know like a you could say like a part-time job, let's call it that way, and it, it it it's great because it gives me, you know, a lot of freedom. Uh, I can do it for from whenever I want, and yeah, I just I just plan it ahead and also got feedback from my readers. Yeah, it's it's been now one year and a half, so it's uh, very very exciting. Well, I definitely congratulate you on the continued success that you found with this. And I think it's a really exciting time to be uh, the kind of content provider that you are. I agree. I, I really think that you found a way to serve a need that wasn't happening. And I know that you also started doing something that I didn't see a lot of other authors doing, which was talking about accessibility for people of different backgrounds in the marketplace. I know that you are a big champion of just artists across the spectrum of diversity. How do you feel about helping to support that? And how do you feel like it's going for artists from different backgrounds? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I think one of the, if you look at the NFT markets and um, sort of like how many artists have been able to uh, live out of NFTs and, and like myself that I found a community it's also a similar thing for Aris that they have been able to find collectors uh, all around the world, right? That wasn't that wasn't that easy previously. Um, so yeah, I've been trying to help um, 
So now that I have more reach and I have a bigger audience, I have this um, uh, gallery called the Blind Gallery. And also I, I write a lot about individual artists or I, I share examples, right, from, from different artists. So yeah, I try to um, find and showcase those that for one reason or another, I see them putting the work. I see that their art is amazing, but it's very hard to, you know, to to get to this point where you are established and, and have a constant, uh, like a solid group of collectors and, and, and you have like a, an income that you can, so you can focus on your art. It's really hard and there are many factors uh, many variables and, and there is also the luck, luck involved. So yeah, I try a lot to not only write about uh, the popular ones that everybody know already, I, I, I try my best to, you know, from time to time find emerging artists and one way or another help them. And yeah, of course, the Hispanic, Hispanic artists. I think that um, the language, language barrier, that's a big a big challenge for many many artists and not only artists you know also founders and, and builders that are out there maybe they aren't you know that fluent in english so it's a quite a decent disadvantage for them right so because everything is happening in english most of the things are in english and yeah twitter uh if, if they want to promote their art, if they want to understand the technology, if they want to understand what's happening, it's a big challenge for them. So yeah, I've been trying to promote uh, Latin American artists from time to time, and and you know in general try to try to help them. Well, I think that's great, and I, I think it's you know we're we're dealing with a marketplace like you said that has a global audience now. And I think that it is presenting more opportunity to artists that wasn't available before. I'm glad that you pointed out the English-centric nature of the marketplace and Twitter. And I think that's a really good thing for, you know, especially people who are native English speakers to keep in mind that, you know, a lot of artists around the world, English is certainly not their first language and they're all having to learn how to communicate through English to in many instances to be able to participate in the marketplace effectively and so for native English speaking collectors I hope that they remember to be patient and welcoming it's really important to be respectful of people's comfort level based on cultural differences language barriers and that sort of thing I think that's one of the great things about the space in general is that there's all these different ways that we can communicate and there's all these different ways that artists can get their work and their message out. And it's a really exciting time, I think, with respect to that. As far as opportunity for artists, how do you feel like uh, this whole NFT movement has affected that? Well, I, I think, of course, it, it sort of created a whole new industry. Um, so... There are, I mean, different things to take into account. I, I think last year was kind of crazy, right? We we saw the news, we saw the uh, the volume was very high, and we saw many marketplaces that were already there becoming, you know, huge huge companies and new marketplaces 
starting out and the same way with so many artists, uh, you know, becoming, uh, yeah, established artists and they many, like the, the top 1% now have like very solid careers. Um, so of course it's, it's a new opportunity for artists, especially those that, um, are trying, you know, they, they, they already had like an idea or they wanted to be an artist, uh, before NFTs, right? The, the, the problem is that there are also many people jumping into the space, which are just, you know, getting in because of the money and, and they are trying to, okay, make some quick cash. Those at some point they end up leaving or they end up finding something that they like in the space that that they actually like, not just because of the money, right? Either collecting or creating content or you know doing different things. So for I think for artists that really want to put up put the time and that they enjoy uh, doing doing art, it, it just created a whole new medium and they can reach out and create an audience over time. And, and uh, as we said already, a global audience, not only like in your city or in your country, you can do much more than that. And as you can also, I think what's interesting is that they can start slow, right? They can, they can understand the technology, figure out what is it, what kind of art they like and understand like the different blockchains, the different marketplaces and slowly build um, this sort of community or audience around them. So it's very, very hard to, to make, you know, a living out of NFTs if you are just starting out. But I believe if you, if you put the time and, and, and you show up day to day and, and, and you are doing something genuine because you really enjoy it, a uh, couple of years down the line, they could actually live out of NFTs. And, and again, what, what you mentioned earlier about uh, this, uh, let's say, Latin American artists and, and because of how they work, the world works, right? Economics, they don't need that much sales to, to have a decent life in South America, for example, or in some parts of Asia. So that's even, that's even uh, more interesting, right? And that, that's why I believe many stay around and many many new artists show up uh, because yeah they, they can build a new income right and, and doing their passion so yeah totally i believe um it's a new a complete new industry it's something that was not possible uh, previously or was very very hard for artists to you know leave out of their art so it this is just a, a new option uh, and again it's it's different. It's not the same as, you know, traditional art, the, the kind of art that sells and the kind of art that people are interested in, in this space is different. But also if you have a clear idea of what you want to do, it can translate well into this medium, right? So it's, it's just about, I, I believe, uh, you know, putting, putting, putting the work and show up day to day, think, Think clearly what you want to do, um, and uh, and I think it it's still like uh, there is a big chance for emerging artists to build a career out of it. Right? 
I agree. And I think, you know, a big part of that, as well as these amazing publications like your newsletter and projects like Blind Gallery, which I want to talk about next, which allows people to discover new artists in a novel way. You also have to respect the power of communities, right? For example, in your Discord server, there's a channel called Upcoming Mints. And in that channel, you will see established artists that collectors are excited about, new stuff that's coming out that they'll tell people about. But what collectors are also telling each other about in that channel are artists that maybe other people haven't heard of before. And maybe they're interested because of how they found out about the artist. Maybe they're interested because of just how the art looks itself. I think it's really interesting now that not only are artists and collectors more connected, but the collectors themselves are forming these communities where they're talking about and promoting art basically for free because they like to do it. And because, you know, it only benefits the collectors in general, like the more people that know about the art that you like, the more people will collect it and the more value will be created for that art. But it's also a huge boon to the artists, I feel like. It's this viral networking of promotion for the artists. I think it's a really cool, a really cool time for artists, especially ones getting into the digital space. And I think all of your advice is really, really good. And speaking of artists, you know, and the value of art as it stands on its own, because I know a lot of people, and it's a natural thing to do, right? Some people will buy art just based on who made it right? Like a successful artist has a good track record, their floor value of their pieces is high. So the next thing they put out, people are going to scramble to get it. Sometimes whether or not they're into the art, but because they're into the name and the potential value of the art, that's kind of the opposite with Blind Gallery. There's a lot of cool components with respect to Blind Gallery. I'm just curious what inspired it? What's the ethos behind it? And how do you feel about how it's going? Yeah. So let me let me describe the, the blind gallery concept as the name the name says it's basically uh, so i try to find a group of artists uh, different from like different backgrounds some are established some are emerging artists and i reach out to them and i i tell them hey what what if you create a piece um and we we share it in the blind gallery without sharing your name, right? So then collectors can purchase it, but because they like the artwork, not necessarily because you're of your name, right? So it doesn't matter if you are big or small, it's about the artwork, right? Um, so what inspired it is, I think in, on Tesos in general, we've seen this kind of art revolution, right? That we have all these, um, different different artists is huge amount of artists creating amazing stuff and nevertheless you still see a group right like five to ten percent that are like the very popular ones and everybody is lining up to mint their 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 pieces uh, but there are others that from one reason or another uh, they haven't been able to find that level of success but they are really good as well, right? And, and so the idea actually came up. So a couple of things. Once, one thing is my dad is a, a big uh, wine wine fan. He's a, he really likes wine. And, and he told me this story about the blind uh, contest. And I think it's a common thing uh, for, for wine. And uh, there was a movie 
in the 90s. And the story is that, you know, French wine has been always uh, known as the top wine in the world. It's very popular. The best uh, grapes are in France. So it was the first time in a blind contest that a American wine from California beat the French wine, which is something that nobody thought was possible back in those days. And so it was, you know, they have this uh, group of judges, right? They didn't know which wine was from where, and they just tasted, and they had to repeat the contest again uh, with different judges. And the, again, they, 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 the American wine won. So my dad always tells me this story, and, and I don't know how I connected it to to NFTs. And I thought, okay, so this is pretty similar to, to I mean, the issue that NFTs at the moment are drive by hype and by names and not necessarily by the art. Um, so yeah, that, that inspired the, the blind gallery concept. At the end, it didn't end up being a contest. I, I, there is a part of it that is, okay, so which artwork was minted the most, right? So that's the most popular or the top three. But at the end of the day, it's not so much about which one is the best. It's about the whole experience and, and a, a collectors trying to find uh, clues. Okay, so who made this, right? And and we share hints along the process. It's like an event, right? It takes like two weeks. And so if you want to, you know, get into it and spend some time, you can research a bit, you can read the hints, try to discover and be like a detective in the in the different marketplaces trying to find the artists that did the piece but also it's a great way to discover new artists right because you end up minting some pieces and when the reveal happens you you minted something that you really like but you didn't know who was the creator before so it opens the door for you know finding new new artists that you maybe collect in the future right so it's a it's a great way to showcase art and also help uh, emerging artists as well. Even though we had also amazing artists, right, that are already well established, they 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 love the concept and they say, okay, this is this is amazing. I want to participate, right? Even if if I know I can sell because I'm already established, but they like the idea of of you know doing it blindly. So yeah, that's basically the the concept of the gallery it's so much fun and it's fun to decide what you want to choose to collect without anything other than just you know the art based on how you connect to it just on its own merit and then to discover you know who the artists are after the fact i mean it's it's neat to find out that you collected a piece from an, an established artist for a very incredibly reasonable price and then it's also cool to see that you know art from an emerging artist was part of the collection and people responded to it and how that's affected that artist and how they feel about it. It's this really cool symbiotic and eventful experience that's really unique to the space. So I'm really glad that you're doing it. I'm really glad that it's been successful. And not only has it been successful and fun for the participants, but it's also had uh, unexpected rewards beyond just the collecting of the pieces. I mean, Last for this last edition, especially the bear market edition, I think there were at least six different artists who airdropped you an extra piece or allowed you to mint an extra piece for free 
if you collected uh, their artwork and that was per NFT collected. So for example, I know Ryan Bell uh, created uh, an artwork called The Veil, which on its own is a really cool piece. And Ryan Bell's a, a really incredible artist. It was neat to find out that that was his work. And then he creates a follow-up that you can mint for free on FX hash if you bought the art during the primary sale. And it's amazing. Yeah. And, and we weren't, I mean, I, we weren't expecting the artist to release this sort of bonus uh, NFTs. That was something they decided to do. I think it's one of the reasons is because they, they, at the end of the day, they only created one piece, right? So they spent a couple of months, I think it was month and a half working on one piece, but they, many of them couldn't, I mean, they had a hard time deciding which one to submit because they have multiple options. And I think they wanted to, you know, they really loved the, the work they did. And many of them said, okay, I, I want to release the, these additional works because they, 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 I really like them. I think people will like it. And also they had a great experience. They, they really enjoyed the, the whole process and they really, really liked the comments from the collectors during the whole experience. So they want to give them something back, something on top, let's say. And yeah, we weren't expecting it, but yeah, people loved that. And, and yeah, I was really surprised to see all those airdrops. That was, that was great. You know, I think people are always looking for added value. You know, utility is always a, a thing you, that you hear people talk about. Sometimes to its own detriment, I'm a firm believer that if you're just trying to collect art, that art is its own utility. You know, the reward that you give to artists to be able to continue making a living, creating art and giving you further opportunities to collect that art and experience that art, that's the utility, right? Like it's the circle of the creation, the collecting, the sustaining and if it appreciates, great. That's also an added bonus if that happens. You know, like I hope that more and more people become aware of this experience and want to participate in future editions of it. And hopefully it inspires people to create more experiences like this. Yeah. And, and I think it's just um, the beginning, right? So, I mean, to, to create the blind gallery, we had to put, put a for each one, like it's a two months or a little bit more of work. It's a mix of, you know, coordinating with the artist, but it's, there is also the technology part, right? That we create this whole minting experience. So it's, I mean, for a team to put together these experiences, they need some time, right? It's, it takes, a, depending on what you want to do. And then I believe that there, there is also the possibility to do some sort of hybrid between the digital experience and real life. Um, of course, that takes probably more logistics to pull it off. And yeah, there are more limitations uh, because uh, having people in real life, you know, to participate is, is kind of complex. But we have seen some of that already with FX Hash and what they did in the Proof of People event and also with our Basel. So I believe in the future, we'll see more of this. Uh, and as people get more, you know, they learn the technology, they get confident on how to use it. Hopefully we'll see more of these sort of events. And yeah, they are, they are very exciting. And it doesn't need to be pure, like 
there are many options, right? That what you can put together now with all the token mechanics, with all the collectors and people want to see different things, right? Innovations happening. And Tesos in general is the technology works very well. And it's, as you said, you can get very cool experiences for decent prices, right? So it's, it's, it's up to, to the creators to come up with yeah, cool ideas and execute them. And I'm sure there will be, uh, you know, people interested, collectors or other artists. Uh, it doesn't matter if there is a bear market, bear market or not. I think uh, there is a solid community. The pillars are there. There is a big group of people that will stay without, like, without looking at the price of the crypto coins, etc. So I always tell everybody that it's a great space to to try new things. It doesn't you don't you don't need to be an artist. You can also build things, build experiences, build communities. So there are many many options. One of the uh, marketplaces that I think is making a huge huge splash like by the day is FX Hash, and that is a platform for generative artists. And there's been a lot of discussion about what generative art is versus AI art. And I think it's important to know the difference. And you've been very uh, vocal about the differences between the two. Can you explain uh, a little bit about the nuts and bolts of what those two forms of art are and why it's important to know the difference? Yeah, that's a good question. So I wrote an article about that. Uh, so I did some research and uh, as I was researching and talking to collectors and artists, I had to rewrite it because it's a, it's a, it's, even if, you know, AI and, and code, code art, let's call it that way, has been around for, for many years. And especially uh, art that comes from computers that's, that's been around since, you know, the first programming languages, the definitions um, and, the, and the terms are still not very well settled. So it's, uh, there are different terms floating around, the marketplaces use different terms, artists as well. So can be can be very confusing. Um, so what I what the what I wrote in my in my article, I so there are a few things. So one is um, AI art is actually part of generative art. It's a subset of generative art. And generative art, there are different def definitions, but one simple one is is um, yeah, artwork that comes out from an autonomous system. Um, so an autonomous system doesn't necessarily have to be a computer, but uh, let's say it's a, a computer because that's what we have seen uh, more recently, especially in the NFT field. So it's basically an autonomous system that produces an artwork. And how that autonomous system works or is created, that's what the artist is doing, right? So you can think of an artist also as an architect, let's call it that way. Um, and then if we, if we take, for example, let's start with AI art. So uh, it's anything that is produced uh, by by imitating the human intelligence by machines, right? So artificial intelligence, that's where the terms come from. But even so, there are many ways of doing AI art. Um, 
now it's become very so the term has become very popular thanks to these new platforms that facilitate to anyone uh, the use of this sort of technology like Meet Journey or uh, there is also Dali now there is Dali too which are very powerful platforms but also simplify a lot of the hard work or the tech knowledge that you had to know um, so uh, to create an art piece from using these softwares you just need to prompt you need to use a prompt text and it produces an output um, so there are some discussions if this is really art or not I, I, I mean uh, it depends right because it's also hard to master these prompts even if it looks easy to actually produce something uh, interesting and that people like it's very complex and you need to understand how these systems work to sort of control it in the nice way so that's very popular right now especially because it's very easy to, to get your hands into it but there are you know more sophisticated approaches and so then you have data scientists and AI or machine learning engineers that they build their whole their own setup they they have the whole technology they you know and, and AI art mostly like mid-journey and Dali how that works is uh, it takes massive amounts of images and using neural networks uh, can uh, network so it's uh, adversarial network so they are able to produce uh, similar images to the ones that were provided so if you provide I don't know photograph it produces a new photograph taking uh, pieces or uh, parts or, or patterns from the original ones um, so what some AI and established AI artists are, have been doing for, for years now, maybe a couple of years, three or more, they build their own models and, and they, they take their own images. They create the images, they create the pictures, and they input that into their own system. It could be a neural network or a different model. They train it and they produce an output. Uh, but that, that as I said, that was kind of complex. You needed to have a lot of uh, knowledge and you needed to have a lot of time and resources like storage resources and different sort of skills. And, and those have been, if you look at the top AI artists, uh, they have been doing this for, for a while and they have their own unique style, etc. So that's a difference. There is a big difference in AI art are you using these sort of new programs that facilitate things or you have your own setup and you are, you know, customizing it here and there and doing different things. Um, and then there is a platform. There are platforms like FX hash or art blogs, which we can call it coded uh, generative art, which they don't necessarily use AI. Some artists have uh, also combined those platforms and introduced AI in different ways, but they are mostly about uh, writing, uh, you know, programs that can produce hundreds of outputs with using the random functions that they, you know, that create sort of differences between each piece. They are very unique. Um, 
And then what you see in those platforms is actually called long form generative art. So long form because it's uh, hundreds of pieces out of the same algorithm. And then there is the short form, which is one piece, and you can just code it. You can I can code it here without going to FX hash. I just take a snapshot and I mint it. That's a short form uh, generative piece. It was made with a generative algorithm, but the way how it was showcased and released uh, is, is, is a short form, let's say, fashion. And so these were, I mean, it's probably a, a lot of information, but this, this is kind of a summary, right, of what's out there, or at least what I, what I found out over the last year, and also after talking to different artists and collectors, but we are just starting, right? Is, is we, when we think about NFTs, they have been mainstream for a year maybe, and these technologies are also quite new. And so we don't know what will happen in the future. We don't know how artists will, you know, innovate and how they will, you know, connect these technologies or maybe create something completely new, a new form. So it's a little bit early, but those are the definitions and the sort of the trends that are out there right now. Yeah, well, I think you did a great job of breaking it down and you've created some of your own art. How has that been for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, after, after writing a lot about generative art and I, I, as I told you before, I was a developer right in the past and I knew how to code and I kind of got a sense of, of how to build these things. So I, I also wanted to put myself in the in the shoes of artists, right? When they are building these collections. So I sort of like a hobby, I, I, I created two collections. Um, it, it was a great experience. So one is called impossible sneakers which was like a you know like abstract sneakers so just in random functions i manipulate the the, the shapes of the, of the sneakers um and also another one which is also very abstract mostly using lines and shapes and movements on lines alone it's called soto which is um a venezuelan artist uh which used to he used to do installations um which it's called keep uh, up art so when you look at the installation it looks one way like you look at it and it looks one like in a, in a way and if you move slightly it changes it's just like some sort of optical illusions so i try to replicate that <laughs> In a, in a gen in a gen art collection so but again it's mostly like a hobby of mine of trying to to learn it's i find it very very interesting that it's super hard to you know to to create a gen art especially to you know control an algorithm to, to produce multiple outputs that they all are interesting that they all feel like they are part of the same collection without getting boring you know because after i don't know 200 pieces could get boring right so it's hard to it's it's really an art an art on itself and then there are many other factors right like 
how many editions, what's the pricing, um, when shall I release it? And we also have to, you know, more aesthetic things like the colors, the palettes, um, the sizes. So it's a, it's, it's a great, a great experience, you know, to practice uh, coding. Also, if, if, if people don't know how to code, it's a great way to learn because you are just playing and, and trying, trying it out. There are many great tutorials. So it's also a great way to bring uh, new generations to the to the coding to the coding uh, you know industry, which is is a win-win for everyone. The the always there are in the future there will be many jobs that are already. So if you know how to code, you 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 should be fine in terms of employment. So it's a great way, you know, to bring new generations. Um, to learn these skills that are very useful in the, in the real job market. So yeah, very, very excited to, to build these things. Very complex, but, but very exciting. Yeah, I really, I really like the shoes and I really like the Soto pieces, especially because there's a connection to another artist and that artist's work. And I got to learn about that artist because I started looking into the pieces that you created. And I love hearing you talk about having a personal experience, creating it and knowing firsthand how difficult it is, how challenging it is to be able to successfully create a generative artwork. I think, you know, hopefully people hear that and understand like there is a lot of work and an incredible amount of thought involved in creating even what appear to be some of the simplest pieces in terms of how, you know, they're presented to us. And then you take that and then you move on to some of these pieces that are mind-blowingly complex. Zanken's art comes to mind. And most recently, the Takata pieces by Andreas Rao and Imsoriaro. What do you think about those? Like, I'm personally completely blown away. I think they're the pinnacle of what's possible currently and really uh, excite me about what else can possibly happen if this is what's going on now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, regarding Sankan, I think yeah, he's the, I mean, he's a top-selling artist on Tesos. But not only not only that, right? The the thing with Sankan is that all of his pieces, uh, I mean, he has released a long form and short form, right? When when you see the Lush temples, for example, those are short form, and then all his FX hash collections. So he just pays so much attention to detail. It's, it's incredible. And I, I just wonder how much time he needs to spend in all those details. So every leaf, every every tree, every stone, every rock has so many, many special details. That's incredible. And the, the thing about Sankan is, in my opinion, maybe you don't even know what, what uh, Gen Art uh, maybe you don't even know that what's AI art. You don't even know what's an NFT. You see one of Sankan's pieces and you like it. It's like, wow, this is amazing. And you don't even know it's done by with code, right? It's an algorithm. So when you add that on top, it's like, wow, yeah, this is this is something special. Um, and yeah, about um, these, uh, the last one from Andreas and then Soria, Soriaro. That's uh, that's 
kind of a new, how do you say, when something, when we have been doing something for a while and somebody comes with a new, with a change in, in the paradigm or create something new that we thought was not possible. I think that's what's happening with that piece because they included the, the music, right? The audio on it. And even without the music, it was an amazing piece. Like it's, it's an amazing one, but the, the audio adds a layer, a special layer, especially because it's in sync with the visuals, right? So it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic. And there are some uh, features there, some mechanics that I, I don't really, I haven't understood yet, but there is this decay. I don't know if you have, if you have figured that out, but there, there is this variable called decay. Some pieces have days, some pieces have months. So I think that these might change over time, similar to what uh, Ismaelio's uh, non-spaces uh, that, that, that these evolve as time passes. I have the feeling and I've seen some conversations that that can happen as well with this piece and that will be fantastic. So I'm, I had to get one. I was late. I couldn't mint. But yeah, I think it's an amazing, an amazing piece. It's just so wild, like what you can do with coding and imagination. It's really boundless. And one thing I wanted to touch upon really quickly with you is there's this new movement in music NFTs. And you've been writing about music NFTs. How do you feel about the whole music NFT movement right now? How do you think it's important as uh, an artist and as a collector? Like, what resources do you think are important to take a look at right now in order to get up to speed on that? Yeah, so I've been researching a bit of it. I think that there are a few reasons why it's taking a bit longer for music NFTs or I also like to call them audio, all audio NFTs. And for me, the why it's taking a little bit more time to develop is because when you look at an art piece, if you look at a BFP or if you look at generative art or whatever piece of art, use you kind of in a couple of seconds, you know, if you like it or not, if you like it, maybe you spend more time researching about it. Um, if it's interactive, maybe a little bit more, but it's kind of quick, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's less than a minute when it comes to music. Um, at least that's how I see it. When I find a new artist, it takes me more time. Uh, I have to play or listen to the song a couple of times until I actually, okay, I like this song, um, or, or I like this artist. I have to, um, maybe somebody tells me about them or it's, uh, it's becoming very popular in the radio or, or it's trendy. You need more time. So I think it's the same uh, for audio NFTs and that, that kind of, that expands to everything. That, that difference in seconds or minutes um, also translates into artists creating the, the music, creating, finding the collectors collectors trying to figure out uh, what, you know, the style they like. So that's why I believe it's taking a little bit of time, more time than, than other forms or other NFTs. But then the same reasons why our uh, NFT art is working. So there are these many 
artists, there are so many enthusiastic collectors, and there are all these ecosystem of creators and marketplaces. I believe the same benefits can occur for music NFTs, especially for emerging artists uh, that can potentially become trendy or established artists. It's just a matter of the right artists making the making the leap into NFTs and this whole network effect happening, which I think it's slower because artists already have mediums. They already have Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube um, to sort of share and earn an income. But only those that are doing very well are the ones that can actually live out of it. When you think about art, there wasn't a medium as simple and as, as effective as NFTs are right now. That's why more artists were inclined to try it. And that's when the whole thing exploded. Um, so with music, um, I think it will happen soon. I, I, I'm actually working on something related to audio NFTs, but it's not ready yet. I, 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 can, I will hopefully share more during September. Um, so what can you do if you want to be early in that movement? I think there are many platforms out there, uh, not on Tesla, so mostly on Ethereum, I think in Solana. I guess it's researching those platforms, trying to find the people that are selling, which is, I think, hard right now because it is not, it's not very trendy, not very popular, and see if there are some what they call the OGs, right? for music in the space, in this culture that is way different than other other cultures, right? Like this is like the internet culture. Um, and those could be good bets if you want to, to start uh, investing or finding, discovering these artists, that could be a good way. Um, and also, I guess, just stay, you know, with your eyes open on these new marketplaces. We have seen that when new marketplaces uh, start, the early artists, they tend to be successful. Not all, of course, but there is, it's a good metric to, to, to sort of calculate. So those early collections, there are usually a couple that, are, that will become, you know, like however you want to call them, blue chips or grails in the future so you stay up with the news about new marketplaces and also one last thing about it is i i am not sure i think music nfts could be a thing but i'm also interested in other ways of using audio for example podcasts or video or um like what we saw this uh, the tukata piece that's a fantastic example uh, it's yen art with audio so that's a good mix that's another that could be also considered a, uh, audio or music nft maybe um and also the collab collab aspects um for artists they could easily the same way how we have seen generative artists collaborating we can see groups or individuals collaborating to create music uh, and could be all integrated in the blockchain. You can see who did what, who wrote the lyrics, who created the music, who was the producer. 
even if they have a manager, it could be the royalties could be incorporated in the in the NFTs, uh, and that could simplify a lot of issues. So basically, uh, the technology can cut many of the middlemen that exist in the music industry, and it's just a matter of making it easier for people, for artists that have no clue about NFTs. They don't, they don't care about the blockchain. They just want to use it uh, in a simple way. Once the UI and the technology is user-friendly enough for artists, then if artists are there, it should attract collectors. So I think it's first artists and collectors and fans. And I think, I'm not sure if music NFTs, yeah, it could be collectors, but it's also fans. I think maybe fans makes more sense in that, in that, uh, yeah, in that area, right? Because you are a fan, you're a fan of a music artist. You're a fan of a group. With art, you are a collector. You can also, you are also a fan, but I think the terms might be different. And then one last thing is, if you are lucky, I mean, the possibilities in terms of reach with music is 100 times uh, bigger than with art, in my opinion, right? So if you are early enough to collect a song from an artist that ends up being, you know, billboard or winning a Grammy or whatever, it could be very, very valuable, right? So that's uh, another another from an economical an economical point of view which are, therefore the artists are great because they are rewarding their collectors um their fans their early fans which is i think something that was it's not possible at the moment with the current music industry so yeah i'm very excited about it and uh, i i want to i want to see what happens in that in that area me too i think it's fascinating and i I appreciate, you know, for people who don't know, uh, you put out a newsletter recently about it. And uh, I think that's like one of the, there's a few, I think, floating around now in terms of, you know, how to get involved with music NFTs. I think that's a great one. So for people who are looking to learn more, that's a good jumping off point. And speaking of last things, I really appreciate how generous you've been with your time. And it's been amazing to uh, hear all this information and knowledge from you today. So I'll, I'll wrap it up with a, a simple question. What gets you out of bed in the morning and what keeps you up at night? Ooh, I was not expecting that. <laughs> so I think um, what gets me out of bed is I'm always being a creative person. I, I like to, in different forms and shapes, create, create things. So, um, and not like, doing it in an hour, right? So actually see the evolution of, of whatever I'm working on. So in this, at this time, what keeps like, what, what I'm looking forward when I wake up is just seeing the progression of, of this space, of the NFT space. And of course my community and, and sort of the things that I create, but again, not like in the short term, more like long term. So that's something that yeah, when I wake up, I really look forward to working on the different things I'm doing and, and seeing the, the, the progress. That's something that I really like in terms of, you know, new people, new readers, uh, new collectors, uh, new, new 
you know, fans or however you want to call them. That's something that really, really excites me. And what keeps me up at night? <laughs> well, different things, but, you know, the, I have to be honest, the volatility of the crypto market is not, it's not an easy thing to, to, to grasp. So now I'm, after being one year around, I sort of uh, developed this way of not worrying too much. Like I believe this is a long-term thing and the, the numbers are there, things are, you know, more people are joining and there are really like true fans, which will keep this, this world around for many years, regarding of what happens with crypto, like the coins themselves. So the NFT space, I'm very excited about it. So yeah, I, I guess that's what keeps me up at night sometimes, the volatility of, of the whole space and the, yeah, how, how risky and how things change from one day to another. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair concern, especially if you're looking at the charts. At any given moment, you never know what's going to happen with the actual market. Well, I should wrap it up here just because I know I could ask you more questions and talk to you forever about all this stuff. It's been really fun. And I just want to thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thanks for, for inviting me. I had a, a lot of fun. And yeah, looking forward for to listening to this and, and watching more episodes. Sounds like a great podcast. Thanks again for having me. Wow, that was a grail conversation for me and a great way to conclude season one of the Oddcast. You can find links to Kahlo's newsletter, artwork, and projects in the podcast description. Thank you so much for listening. See you soon for season two and be on the lookout for my next chat with my next amazing guest. You'll be able to find it along with all other episodes wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Thank you for continuing to support Odyssey, art and innovation. See you soon.